intuition drives testing and data drives decisions. And RevOps is the whole back end to that iterative testing mechanism so that they can help use the data to drive decisions. And it's a huge competitive advantage to be able to know when, what initiative should I double down on and what do I need to iterate or kill, right? And having a real strong rep, uh, RevOps muscle helps an organization make those decisions quicker and easier. Welcome to the OpStars podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes, holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty. Hello, everyone. It's your host, Rachel. Welcome to today's episode, where I'm joined by Joe McNeil, the Chief Revenue Officer at Influ2. Influ2 is a person-based marketing platform pioneering a new approach to account-based marketing. Influ2 empowers B2B marketers to target chosen decision makers, capture their intent, and track engagement at the individual level. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Joe has 10 years in the business industry with specializations in B2B tech sales, hypergrowth, and revenue operations. He's a sales leader who combines an enthusiasm for client service delivery, employee empowerment, robust revenue operations to position organizations to scale and grow. He's contributed to the development of four rapidly growing tech firms, two of which he helped lead to successful exits, Proto Labs and Site Improve. So today we're going to tap into your experience, Joe and get your advice on how do we build a model that enables this fast revenue growth? How do we bring teams together to build that engine? Before we jump into picking your brain on that, give us some highlights of your career journey and what led you to the role at Influ2. Yeah, thank you. So I uh, was a landscape architecture major actually coming out of college and I fell into sales. And I can say with definitive certainty that I hated every minute of it for my first year of it. But it's funny how sometimes you're not in control of your path and sometimes you can't see it clearly. But as I sort of plowed ahead, I started to really enjoy the challenge that sales presents and started to sort of build my career and skill set and started to, to love it. And I lined up with Proto Labs. They were one of my customers. I was selling staffing at the time, actually. And it was just such a wonderful leadership team there, really, from the CEO Brad Cleveland to the VP of Sales Jackie Schneider to you know my direct report Kathy Mayerhofer who's the Chief Sales Officer at Zometry now there's some of some of my best mentors and I always say that you know if you look back at the success you have a lot of it is tied directly to the mentors and the people that taught you so I was really lucky to join a successful company there you know we went through a successful IPO built out a great team and then I moved to Siteimprove which was a Danish SaaS Martech startup had great leadership there, Morton Emerson, the founder, Torben Wright, the CEO. And, you know, we took that from around, I started when it was about $8 million and left at about, we had just hit $100 million. So it was a lot of fun, that journey. We learned a lot. We did a lot wrong. We did some things right and had a lot of fun along the way. And looking for my next opportunity, Influence really spoke to me. I feel like it is a pain that a lot of us in the commercial world feel in terms of trying to market to the right people, but also trying to connect your marketing efforts to provide actionable data to your sales teams. And really, 
the market is flooded and we're in an economy where attention is hard to come by. So if you can put the right message in front of the right people, it is a differentiator. Yeah, 100%. So you said landscape architect? Yes, correct. My dad owns a landscape business and I thought maybe I'd get into the family business. And then I realized that, you know, you have to be able to draw to be a a landscape architect. So I quickly self-selected out of that profession. I started out as a graphic designer and ended up in technology. And there's no one path, as you say. There's always interesting stories that our, our guests have. Appreciate that. Yeah. So your company enables this focus on individuals. I guess I'd love to start off by just getting your thoughts on where the market is going, managing leads or MQLs. There's also managing buying groups. So as you think about the individual, do you think about them in the context of a buying group? I think much like a company and an account involves a buying group, a buying group accounts for a collective group of individuals. And each of those individuals have their own motivations for what they're looking to achieve when they work with any vendor. So I I think when you look at the buying group, it's a collective decision, but it's based off of different motivations. And you need to speak to each of those when you're working with an account. From that standpoint, it's just the obvious next step in where we're at. The customer acquisition process has slowly moved from opportunistic of sort of boil the ocean and see what you can sift out to be specific, strategic, and targeted because the market's very crowded with tools and platforms and companies, and you need to be very specific about who you are and who you're looking to serve. Yes, we do need to think about buying groups so that we can identify who the buyer is to message them in a certain way. And maybe that's who we call versus, hey, someone might be in the IT team and just want to make sure they understand the architecture of lean data and we can send them the information, but we don't need to call on them. So you have led multiple rapidly growing companies. What was key to enabling that speed of growth and those successful revenue teams? And I know that's a big question. You know, the number one thing is talent density, right? You need to hire good people. You need to build a team of good people. But then I think commercial alignment plays a big piece of that. And it's not just commercial alignment, it's alignment throughout all of the departments. But I would say alignment's a big piece with the marketing, sales, and customer success team, especially now. And it really starts at the top, right? If the leaders are aligned, if they're walking to the beat of the same drum, if they're working together, if they're winning together and losing together, it really sets the tone for the rest of the team and creates a real collaborative environment for everybody to work through. What does it take to align them? What is the strategy or elements that help leadership to align? It really starts with a clear definition of what it means to win for the commercial team and then having everything cascade from that, right? I think if you create siloed definitions of what winning is and then create KPIs that filter up to those, you can run into situations where departments are optimizing for different motivations. So I think you want to get into a situation where as a commercial team, you all win together or you all lose together and you're all more interested in winning than being right and hitting some KPIs. There's a lot of talk about MQLs and all the other KPIs that build up through the funnel. And I think all of them are valuable data points, but them in themselves aren't winning. You know, the end goal is winning and that's put the, putting the pieces of the puzzle together to get there. Is then the, the goal really a, a revenue goal? What are some of those metrics for the leadership team to focus on? Revenue is always a central part of the puzzle, but I think if you look at really creating successful customers and making happy customers, that's where it comes from, and looking to replicate that process as much as possible. 
if you look at the SaaS landscape now, a lot of organizations are land and expand organizations where they're not selling a gigantic enterprise solution at the outset. They're selling to a segment, they're selling to a piece, and it's more of a test to prove value and then expand and grow. So for a lot of organizations, customer success is really grow or die, right? Prove value and grow your relationship, or they'll cycle something else in because there's no shortage of tools that they could be using to try to improve their process, revenue, whatever. So I think from our standpoint, it's if you look at the overall puzzle of what a successful customer journey looks like, each of the commercial segments needs to own their part, but those parts need to be aligned into the bigger picture. Is that journey defining the outcomes for the clients, the client's journey to adoption and value? Correct. And it's continued delivery of value. A lot of clients don't renew for the reasons they buy. As clients pivot, you need to pivot with them to continue to offer value. So it's looking at your most successful customers. It's looking at what was their journey. And it's looking to how do I replicate and support that better for the next customer? We talked about this idea of buying groups and how companies buy now. They're all accessing information on the back end as a part of their decision, You know, making that information available to them and clear so they can make the best decision for their organization is important. That buying group, how you continue to take them on the adoption journey, the leadership team would see that that client actually got to achieve their goals. Is that the, the North Star everybody should be looking at? Yeah. And going into an engagement, you want to make sure that you clearly map out the outcomes they're targeting. And then you clearly map how we're going to get you from point A to point B. And I think as you move along with the customer, it's having honest conversations about here's where we are at with this outcome. You know, we're either on pace, tracking, completed, or, hey, we were behind schedule. We're not where we need to be with this. Here's what we need to do as a group, as a partnership to get there. So I think from that standpoint, it's always looking back at, here's what was important when we started our engagement together. Are these still the most important outcomes? And then where are we at on our journey to achieve these? And what do we need to do to get there? I love that. This seems like it would be aspirational for a lot of companies. I think they would love to be doing this. So let's say someone's listening to this and going, wow, we absolutely need to really be focusing everybody in our leadership on outcomes. How would they get started? I think it's really looking at how you create alignment with your prospects, but it's also reverse engineering. You know, we talked about your successful partnerships and your successful customers is what were the outcomes that we delivered for them? Maybe they weren't even agreed upon beforehand, but the XYZ is a happy customer. Let's look at how we've delivered and what we've delivered and what that process looked like. And let's go back and see, was there any opportunity earlier in our relationship to clearly articulate these and align on these? And I think for us, we have a process within our sales process. We always go back to a what we've heard and what our target outcomes are conversation with the prospects within our sales stages, just so that we can put those on the screen and we can agree. Did we hear this correctly? And are these your outcomes? Now, maybe there's 10 target outcomes they're focused on, but, but what are your top three that we're going to start with, right? What, what do we have bandwidth to attack first? And I think from there, the next work is really going into how can we get you there? Because everyone's bought software that could do something for them and it was never adopted. It was never implemented. So I think building out what is the plan to get you there and how do we work as a team to execute on that? And does everybody have the resources and bandwidth to do that? That makes sense. You talked about 
the client's reason to buy shifts by the time they renew. Do you suggest using those insights and then feedback into the sales cycle? The learnings that you have in renewal, does it influence what you do pre-sale? Yes, I, I think the customer success team is a great resource for the sales team just to feedback insights they're hearing from customers, whether it be benchmarking or successful initiatives we've tied to or things we delivered on or didn't deliver on as, as we had hoped and how we can improve. I think growing a company is always about improving, iterating, becoming more efficient, becoming better, and just delivering more successful solutions to your customers. So I think that feedback loop is really important. Measuring that client's progress toward getting to their outcomes, how much of that are you relying on humans to connect with them versus data that can be a proxy for, hey, yes, they're achieving their goals because they adopted certain features or functions? Do you have to rely on the CSMs to really know that you've been successful? Yeah, for our organization, that's, you know, we're continuing to develop that. I think it really, for most organizations, it depends on what the relationship with the customer looks like. Are you a transactional organization that is mostly self-serve automated? You're probably going to want to automate that as much as possible. If you're a high-touch organization where you have enterprise clients and there's a lot of white glove, you're going to want to deliver that as well. I think the important part is really communicating impact. I think at times we can get lost in the usage and all this data that it looks like you're almost defending your platform rather than working with them to look at what is the impact we've had together and how do we continue to deliver that. That really resonates with me. Building out this capability probably requires some support from the operations team, which is our primary audience for this podcast. Any advice for the ops team as they look to support outcomes and helping the client on their journey? Tips for the ops folks? I think as we move forward, the new market is is an opportunity for RevOps to really shine. You know, there's there's more opportunity than there is talent in the workforce right now. And efficiency is a big piece of a company's success. You have customer success managers and account executives and sales development reps and marketers that have a very specific and high-valued uh, skill set. You want them spending as much time as possible with the right individuals executing on that skill set. And RevOps can really support that piece of the puzzle in terms of helping them understand the where, the who, the when, the how. There's iteration and testing is such a big part of growing a company. And RevOps builds the framework for how we measure that. You know, intuition drives testing and data drives decisions. And RevOps is the whole back end to that iterative testing mechanism so that they can help use the data to drive decisions. And it's a huge competitive advantage to be able to know when, what initiative should I double down on and what do I need to iterate or kill, right? And having a real strong rep, uh, RevOps muscle helps an organization make those decisions quicker and easier. What about measuring where things are working or are not working? Today, we've got metrics in terms of marketing's contribution, sales contribution. Does that shift as you think about this new model? Is there new metrics and ways to know how you're really doing with the clients and how the teams are doing? I think outside of the very high volume transactional organizations, as buying behaviors change, we need to move to an influence over attribution model. You know, attribution and especially single source attribution is such an antiquated way to measure success of programs that I think if you reverse engineer an enterprise sales cycle, 
and a successful customer relationship. There are so many different influencing factors with the, and pieces that go into that. And I think building out a model, an influence-based model, what level of influence different initiatives have and which ones do we need to do more of and which ones do we need to do less of is very important. What's the shift in the way that marketing might approach things if they're going after those individuals with this value-led approach? How do they design that strategy? What do they think about? And then how do they partner with sales? Is there something new they should be thinking about to deliver on outcomes? If you look at some of the successful organizations doing this right now, I think Gong is a great example. They have a very specific persona they're focused on. It's sales leadership. And their marketing team is constantly creating valuable content for sales leadership, right? And most of it isn't gated. They have a great blog, they have great information, they have actionable information. And they're still, last I heard, primarily outbound. The difference is when an SDR calls on a gong prospect, that prospect is likely subscribed to their blog, you know, reading their content and has a favorable view of their brand. And before, you know, anyone from Gong has ever even communicated with their primary persona, they've probably offered them value through the content they're providing. So I think that's a great example of how they're out there providing valuable content for their key personas. And before there's any real relationship, they've already created value. It's getting the relationship started on the right foot and it puts them in a great position. Excellent. I haven't looked at what Gong is doing. So is it uh, sales advice? Correct. There's a lot of sales advice out there that's basically entirely anecdotal. It's this is the right way to sell because I think so. Where Gong is really going through the data from their platform and building out a here's what works based off of the data model to create more actionable data based off of real results rather than people's opinions. In any buying journey, emotion plays such a big part that I feel a connection to the brand, that I feel like they are they're going to be there for me in the long run. They're going to take me where I need to go. I trust them. Correct. Knowing that target persona, providing content relevant to them to attract them and a nice segue into the sales organization because you're already starting with a point of like, your brand gets me. And this is circling back to the buying group. This is where getting the right messaging in front of the right persona matters, right? Because if you're advertising to an account horizontally with the same messaging to all personas, you know, you can put yourself in a tough position because you're putting language in front of people that doesn't matter to them. And then you need to play defense. You need to overcome that rather than use that as a springboard. So the reality is getting the right messaging in front of the right people is an important piece to getting started off on the right foot. And then from a sales perspective, I'm kind of curious, as sales starts that relationship and they understand those pain points, what's your recommendation for how you ensure that that gets carried through to the post-sale team such that you make sure those outcomes happen? Because, I mean, come on, sales, you want to close it, let's move to the next deal. I don't have time to worry about it post-sale. What do you put in place to ensure that customer journey is is taken care of and the right metrics are there? How do we how do we combat the the urge yeah, to move on? Good. This goes back to alignment. It goes back to, you know, looking at the bigger picture, especially right now with where we're at as an economy. Whenever there's a recession, a downturn, a tough time, even during COVID, when you look at your revenue mix, a higher percentage this year will probably be expansion and upsell versus new logo just because it's it's hard to generate new logos right now. So as a salesperson, for the salespeople listening out there, it's important to get that handoff right because 
there'll be growth that comes from that success. Even if it's not with that account, it's not with yours. You know, we all know how much referrals mean in the marketplace. And every company has a big percentage of their deals come through the referral loop of successful customers. So as a salesperson, you control your brand. And every customer that you you send over to customer success, that's part of your brand and how successful they are impacts that. So that handoff's important. Success of that customer is important, not just to the company, but to the individual. We know today, if you do the right thing by the customer, they will stay and grow and it will benefit you in, in the long run. We've tried to streamline the capture and continuation of that, that handoff data. Actually build in some of the supporting processes to capture information, requiring those handoffs to happen to make sure that, uh, that everything, everything aligns all the way through. It's always a little bit of a slog to get folks to enter data into systems. Correct. Correct. I think, you know, a lot of this, like we talked about before, stems from leadership, too. I think leadership can set the tone, especially sales leadership, and ensuring that, that this goes smoothly and goes well. So how aligned the sales and customer success leadership team is, is a big piece for how well sort of this transition happens. And I think everybody does align to the, the metrics and what is celebrated in the company, right? So any tips on how you might highlight great behavior but any any thoughts on metrics or incentives to to getting everybody moving in the in the right direction because we know that really does drive behavior. Yeah, I think I think really looking at the behavior your metrics and incentives drives is an important piece of the puzzle, but I, not everybody is incentive driven. How the leadership recognizes individuals is important too. And what do we really put on a pedestal, right? Are we just putting big revenue numbers on a pedestal? Or we, when we get a, a testimonial from a customer talking about how delighted they are with the team they worked with and the product, are we putting that on a pedestal? Those are the things that we can improve in leadership is highlighting these successful customer engagements and sales customer success. This is a team sport now, right? It's customer success is involved before sales close. Sales is involved after sales close. The development team and the product team and the pre-sales team and the post-sales team, there's so many pieces involved in creating successful customer engagements and making sure that you highlight all of those individuals and groups as a part of that recognition process is important. Well, all of this has certainly worked for you and the teams you've been on and your fast-growing companies. If you are a company that really hasn't been outcome-focused and want to shift there, is there a little bit of a time period before you start to see the fruits of that effort? Like, does it take a couple quarters? Can it take up to a year? Like, do you have to have a little bit of patience before it kicks in? I think discipline is the the right word for it. I think you need to start by really sitting down and having clear definitions that everyone's aligned on. I think it's a fun exercise to communicate with a company and ask different parties, like, what is a lead within your organization? And then hear the various different definitions you get, right? So simple questions like that, everyone should have the same definition. And I think when, when you look at outcome focus and, and process focus, how does leadership react when things aren't going perfectly? Because there'll, there'll be times when, you know, it, this isn't an easy world we live in and you're going to have quarters that you struggle. And how does leadership react? Because I think that really sets the tone for what's important to the organization. And you can't only be outcome focused when outcomes are good. You have to be steady and consistent with the focus and the North Star. If you do that, you set that tone. I think, I think it doesn't take a long time really to create that focus for the organization. In the slower times for new business where you're not hailing just that revenue number, but you're able to celebrate the successful 
retention and growth of your customer base, it keeps everybody kind of motivated and focused as well on growing and helping them and adding adding value to the, the customers because you understand them and you have ability to do adjacencies and build out new capabilities. The teams can rally around that. Correct. I mean, we all have revenue goals. I understand that clearly. And those revenue goals need to be hit correct. But I think how you do that and what compromises you're willing to make as an organization to do that will really set the tone for your culture and and your DNA. I love this perspective of this outcome-based approach. It's great to hear from someone who has built out these models and have seen the results. Thank you so much for, for sharing that, Joe. I have a couple of standard closing questions for you. The first is advice to someone who's just about to start their first operations role. Yeah, I think take a learner's mindset, right? It's okay to not know the answers to certain things. It's okay to make mistakes. But the challenge with RevOps now is is you need to have a pretty in-depth knowledge of all of the commercial departments. You need to have you need to know what makes the sales engine work how the marketing team is viewing the the market and the opportunity, what customer success does for their customers and really understanding the processes and trying to find areas of friction. You know, I I think that the best value RevOps can support isn't being reactive to requests from their peers. It's going out and finding those areas of friction and resolving those challenges proactively because that has such a just scalable and monumental impact on the organization. That's terrific advice. And final question, who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch? World of operations. So I'm not sure if it's the world of operations, but I would love to go to lunch with Bill Masitis, who was marketing leader for Salesforce, CMO of Zendesk. I think he was CMO and CRO of Slack at one point. I've seen some of his interviews and read a lot of his content, and I really like the way that he views building a commercial organization. And obviously, he has a track record of doing a pretty good job of that path. So I'd love to pick his brain. Excellent choice. Thanks so much, Joe. Appreciate you being on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. The Opstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for OpStars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at OpStars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.